I love that song. Jonah looked over at me and said, Dad's my favorite song. Biggest smile on his face. He's rejoicing in the Lord. We're called to do that this morning as we turn uh, in God's Word to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 5 through 9. I want you to remember though, before we ever arrive in this last part of Ephesians, Paul has built an argument on how we are to live our lives. Yes, that's what's being expressed here, but it it first begins with the glorious Gospel that Paul has laid before us. That Christ has done everything necessary to purchase His people. So that when we're called to glorify Him, to live in this world in these different spheres, we don't do so to earn His love. That love has already been given and fully expressed in Christ Jesus Uh, as Ephesians 2 says, laying down His life for those who were dead, those who were enemies. It's this glorious Gospel that changes us, all of us, changes how we think of ourselves in this world. That's what we're going to look at this morning as we get to bondservants and masters. I want to say one quick thing about this particular passage. Paul is not making an argument here on whether slavery is right or wrong. That's not what he's, uh, his, his aim is here, though I, I believe he would say it is. But what Paul is doing here is saying that it is simply a reality, especially when you look at the, the Greco-Roman world around him, it is simply a reality that some find themselves to be slaves, to be servants, in a system that they did not choose, nor do they love, in which they have a master that rules over them. And you see, the gospel, the glorious gospel, even in these places, is not undone. That even if someone finds himself in a situation that they they can't escape, that even there, Christ not only holds on to His people, but has given them instruction on what it looks like to live in this world. So, uh, with that aside, let's pray and let's turn to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for what's set before us. It's perfect. It's perfect, God, because it came from Your mouth. It is Your Word which is powerful and has always been powerful from the very creation of the world when You spoke and things were made. God, it's the same Word that now will be read before us. It is You speaking to Your people. So we pray, Lord, that as we sit and hear, we might ask, what would you have us know about you, Lord? And what do you call me to do in obedience? And so, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit in our midst, that we might know truth, that we might be drawn to truth, that we might see your Son, that our eyes might be turned heavenward to look at Christ Jesus, the Lord and Savior over all the earth, our one and true Master. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Listen to God's word. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, 
do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that He is who is both their Master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with Him. This is God's Word for His people. Amen? This morning we're going to take up the last of the, the spheres that that Paul has really been focusing on. We began with husbands and wives, and then we saw children and parents. Today we see bondservants and masters. Christ enters into all of these spheres of our lives and directs us then how to live in this world, and it calls us to look heavenward, all the while affecting our horizontal lives, those relationships that we have around us in this world. In fact, this is the summary of the whole of Ephesians, which first called us to look heavenward and to see God's action for His people and then shows us what it looks like to live in the world. So we're going to cover three points. And and I'll admit to you, um, I uh, was reading Sinclair Ferguson's commentary and I had my own three points and I saw his and I was like, I like those better. So we're going with those this morning. (laughs) A A heavenward attitude, one a heavenward motive, and a heavenward perspective. First, a heavenward attitude, if I could say the word. (laughs) Uh, Many of you have been students before. In fact, you have students sitting on your aisles probably, and I think, uh, children, you've probably said this before in your schoolwork, right? Why do I have to learn this? Why do I have to learn this math? I'm never going to use it in this life. Why do I have to do it now? Dad, do you still do this kind of math? No. (laughs) I'm in the ministry, man. I don't don't have to do... (laughs) Wanting to do the bare minimum, often we find ourselves just to to get by. What can I do just to get through this, right? Right? Uh, I'm never going to use it, and sometimes we feel as if we're a slave to some kind of uh, system that just seems a little heavy-handed, a little useless, all the while forgetting that there are reasons and seasons why God has us where we are at. The will of God has called us to serve sometimes at the command of others. It's no different in your jobs. Some of you probably don't love your nine-to-five job. Nonetheless, God would have you see yourselves not as slaves to the alarm clock or to some boss, but as servants to Jesus Christ. Yes, you rise to work for someone else. How then are we called to live in such a reality? It is here that Paul gives us these these particular verbs that instruct us in Christian living. He says, obey. Doing the will of God. Knowing. Knowing something and and receiving from the Lord. And this will direct us then as how we think about first the heavenward attitude. Verse 5 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Here he addresses first the attitude of the Christian. He doesn't say, Wrestle with whether or not you think it's fair or just, right? With a math problem. Is it even fair? I've got to learn something, right? So no. He says, rather, the sincerity of your heart 
to whatever context you are called right now. He's looking at the sincerity of your heart. There is an attitude that looks beyond your earthly master to a heavenly master. All the while, this doesn't negate that we have masters here and now. Sometimes those masters are generous and kind. And other times they are abusive and they try to extract loyalty by making your life hard. We're going to get to those masters at the end. One, one side note though. It can be true that if your master and boss is abusive that you need to seek better, uh, better environment to work under or to labor under. So Paul's not saying... You know, whoever and whatever your master is, you've got to submit to it. No, there's degrees to which we can say, listen, this guy's destroying my life, right? He doesn't say you have to stay under that. But he does instruct us, how do you live under authority? If I could sum up of Paul's directive in these verses, Christians are to make the very best employees. We're called to obey those who are over us and to do so with fear and trembling. Now many of you may say, I do this. I fear and I tremble when it comes to my boss. I know that if I don't do a good job, he'll be angry with me or be unsatisfied. Might lose your job. Your boss may... Uh, live in such a way that you, you, you know, that they might be the worst kind of narcissist. They might only have a concern on how they look at the end of the day. It could care less how you feel. He meets with the board. You don't. Here, fear and trembling is a matter of reverence, right reverence to God. And even to those who have been given by God a role over you. Our fear and trembling is not so much before those in authority over us as it is drawn right up into heaven to a fear and trembling before God. That is here an awe and a, a reverence towards His authority in all things that He rules and He reigns over all things, including those you've been called to serve underneath. That they're not there by mistake. They are placed there by this supreme authority in the heaven. And so our eyes and our attitude begin to look heavenward. That is why Paul closes verse 5 with, As unto Christ. Our serving others is to have an heavenward attitude that in all we do, we do it unto Christ. Sure, our earthly bosses may let us down. In fact, I promise you they will. Just like any of the other spheres. Husbands will let down their wives. And wives will disappoint their husbands. And children will sin against their, their or, or parents against their children. And children against their parents. It simply is a fact that earthly authority will have with it the sin nature. We're fallible. But for the one who looks to Christ, you see His perfection. And you have a sense of obedience to Him as something that will never let us down. His authority 
came from him uh, expressing love towards his people by laying down his life to purchase them. This is the one who rules ultimately over all things. Keep that in mind in your attitude as you serve in this world. Christ is the reason that we live and move and have our being. Philippians 2 is helpful in understanding this first verse. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because of the inworking, the life that comes to us in our salvation, the inworking of the Spirit, because that has come to us and dealt with our sin, transferred us under the authority of Christ as servants, it's going to naturally then have an outworking. It transforms us into the likeness of Christ. The gospel simply transforms all of us. That's why he calls us to be sincere in heart in our service unto others. In other words, you're not serving two masters, but one. Everything that you do is serving the one Master. We serve Christ whenever and wherever we are at work in this world. Yes, you have a boss, but you have Christ that is head of all the earth. And so we don't live in compartments. Christ is Lord of life. He never calls us to half-hearted action He wants hearts that are sincere towards Him in all things. Sincerity of heart is a a singleness of the mind. This is the key to laboring in a world that is unfair and often unjust. Your attitude is caught up in the things of heaven. Which your Father looks down and sees. So that no task is mundane. No task is not under His sight. No task is not done before the eyes of God. The Christian is called to do excellence in all things. We have, uh, for example, Old Testament examples of this. You find in Joseph or Daniel. When you think of Joseph, what made this man stand apart? What, What made Joseph stand apart in the eyes of the various masters that he was called to serve under. I mean, Joseph, who had every single reason to groan about the injustice that I, I was my father's favorite and now I'm the servant of somebody? If anybody could groan, it was him. The injustice of it. He who was sold off. He who was placed under Potiphar as a slave, but he never lost sight of his God. As he looked heavenward, and different than any other slave he served with, he served in such a way that it gave testimony to Potiphar that this man was different than the rest. In which Potiphar says in Genesis, he says that the Lord was, he knew that the Lord was with him and caused all things he did to succeed. He saw something in Joseph that made him different. His attitude was different. What about Daniel? Who could have complained that he found himself in Babylon with the rest of the wicked Israelites? He was a man of God. You read that story and go, I wonder why he's here. And yet, Daniel served and 
lived in such a way that he never compromised his integrity even when he was under a new master, but he would serve God in such a way that stood apart from all others. Both of these were filled with sincere hearts and filled with integrity as slaves that God was glorified and their attitude was heavenward. Let us live this way. Let us have an attitude check maybe this morning. Christians have a different ethic. Christ has done everything necessary for your salvation. Would your bosses, those who you serve under, would they even know that you are a Christian by the way that you work? Many of you serve in ways that will never be acknowledged. Who is your master? Here the prevailing message is that our master is Jesus Christ and he tells us how to live now. Children, you're called as students and children in the home. Now, serve Christ without grumbling. Don't make it harder on your parents. You are actually pleasing the Lord in all the things that have been given to you to do it to the best of your ability as unto Christ. You're called as Christ's own children so that every task is I will do it as unto Jesus. Likewise, adults, as you labor in this world, your ultimate master is Jesus and each thing are you called to labor in is for His glory and for His purposes. Be the best employee by allowing your Christian character and attitude to reflect Christ Jesus and what He has done for you and His authority and rule over you. This then leads us to our next point. Verse 5, we're to have a heavenward attitude in all things so that we will also have a heavenward motive in how we live now. Verse 6-8 through eight says, Serve not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. I remember as my, at my first call right out of seminary, uh, I was a youth pastor at a church. And my office was upstairs, and there was this one elder, and I don't know how he uh, spent his time, except that sometimes it was his goal to sneak down the hallway and either peek through the window in my door or stand at the door until I noticed he was there to check up on me and see if I was working. That's stressful, right? I mean, uh, um, you begin to think, I've got to be doing something. I can never just stop, right? Because when is this guy going to show up at my door and peer in and make a judgment call from the 30 seconds that he was watching me on whether I was earning my pay at the church? It was joy sapping. Because I begin thinking all the time, I've got to be doing something. I've got to be doing something. What if he sees? And I want him to, I want his approval. I want him to look at me and say, yeah, he's working hard. This is a good worker. He's worth his pay. It already played on something that's a natural tendency of mine of being a people pleaser. Of being someone who cares a lot about what other people think about me. Maybe this comes from being coached. 
right? You're, you want to please your coach. You want to train hard. You want to hear him give you praise for how well you did. It snatches, it snatched something from a freedom that comes from a, a heavenward, heavenward motive. Why am I driven? Why do I want to work hard? Who do I want to please? And my value was becoming uh, more on being seen by men rather than by Christ. And this is what Paul is getting at. With his verbs here, he says, serve. Not with people in mind, but with Christ in mind. Doing. Doing the will of God from my heart. Knowing. Knowing that whatever I do, God is watching and He is ready to reward those who do good. All this gets at the motive by which we render service in the earth. Listen, we may labor hard. You you feel like you're always at the grind on this earth and there is not a guarantee uh, anywhere that you will receive reward for it. For those things done in earthly service can be overlooked They can be snatched from us. Someone else can claim it. Does the boss see the the sweat and the toil done in quiet hours? Do they see the sacrifice made in time and effort? No. What about the mundane? To take it to other spheres. Does the spouse always appreciate the enormity of the other? of what they did around the house or with the children during the day, does the spouse always say, sweetheart, I don't know how I would do this without you. Does the spouse uh, always appreciate the way the other is exhausted? Exhausted themselves to make sure there's bread on the table or money in in the account. Children, have you ever acknowledged That your parents are spending every waking hour protecting you, providing for you, caring for your needs. Deacons, volunteers of the church, did anyone ever notice the little things that you do? Volunteer that picks up trash around the building or someone who sets up signs in the rain. Or that you prayed in your room for another or made a meal for the sick. Pastors, elders, did anyone hear you on your knees praying for marriages or the sick? Or see you leave a meal early with your family for the need of a a member of the congregation? Did they see you lay awake at night as you thought about someone else in the congregation concerned for them? No, often there is no earthly reward for the things that we find ourselves doing that no one sees and no one stops to say, good job. And that could be demotivating. Without the praise of people. Without someone seeing and acknowledging it. But what Paul says is the motive and the service to be rendered. What we're to do and know about God is that He sees and nothing in this world escapes His eye. We serve with fear and trembling, awe and reverence towards Him who has saved us, by His will has placed us in these different spheres and promises due reward for action that is done unto Him. You see, all labor then 
is lifted right up out of this world, looking to heaven, to a higher plane. Christians are set apart from all who labor, and that is from the lowest job you can think of to the CEO. Life is a gift, and Christ is a greater treasure, and His people find a, a motive to live this life, all of it, to His service. In heaven, there is no distinction between uh, your job title and the other person's, but only towards who is your master and how well did you serve him. For those who have uh, lived their life unto Christ, could there be any greater words spoken to his people than what he says in Matthew 25? Well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, to hear those words. My children often beg me to come to their gymnastics practice. And what they really desire is to show their father, look how hard I've worked. Look how far I've come. Look, Dad, I've spent months on this one thing, this one skill, and now I have it. What they want is their father's approval. They want to see a smile that their dad's looking at him and he's proud. If we could just have a similar desire in the way we serve here, that there's a father in heaven that sees everything you do, even the most mundane task. He sees you, and He loves you. And when you do it with a sincere heart, He approves of any and every service you give. He sees Colossians 3.24 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of as your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He rewards. Even when there's no earthly reward for it, your heavenly Father rewards. Amen? Thank you all for those who serve and have never been told thank you. Your Father in heaven sees. I pray God will give us the sincerity of heart, a holy integrity that gives us a heavenward attitude and motive. This leads us to our final point, a heavenward perspective. Verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. The warning here. Uh, is typical of what he's done in the others, directed at the Master, but doesn't stand apart from us. Paul likely had in his Ephesus congregation both those who were slaves or servants to someone and probably those who were masters. Those who had slaves in their home. And he addresses both. All that was said before as he speaks to the Masters now, he tells them everything that was just read has bearing on you as well. Not just your servants. He says, masters, do the same. As was mentioned previous. 
That doesn't mean that they abdicate their role as bosses, but that they would obey their heavenly master. Render service, do God's will, know God's eyes are upon them, and receive the due reward for serving Him. Both servant and masters have the same guiding principles for kingdom living. Therefore, the earthly master is to stop threatening. Threatening carries with it a a bit of the connotation that you're treating the other as the enemy, the inferior. And this exhortation that Paul's giving, imagine how radical this is in his time in which there are slaves, forced to be slaves. How radical what Paul is saying, which uh, um, you see people that are slaves because of invading masters or that it's the law of the land. For the Christian, the understanding is always the higher authority, and in this, the master is no different. Note how uh, Paul turns to the verb knowing, uh, and, but here he says master, and it's in all caps. He's saying to the master, know your master. Know who it is who is in absolute authority before you strut around and you threaten those precious people under your care. Know who you serve and who has placed you there. And ultimately, who can remove you? Stop your threatening. You serve the same master, the servant, and there is no partiality in the way in which God views you. Earthly masters are in fact slaves to Christ. They are slaves either by profession of faith in Him or slaves as being under His complete authority over the wicked and the righteous alike. All of us will stand before the judgment throne and at last give account. This is what I mean by a heavenward perspective. If we could just understand the Master who is ruling over all the earth, who sees both uh, the master over someone and those who serve under. There is one to whom we must all give account and He will not be partial. The heavenly perspective is to understand in this life and live according to the way Christ has called us and He calls us uh, unto faith and repentance, and to have Him as Lord and Savior. Masters, you will give account for those under your care. Once again, I will ask, uh, once again, I will ask, as I did a couple weeks ago, if you have charge, I'm not just talking about the workplace, but you who have charge over anybody, how will you deliver them unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Will they be scarred? Wounded, bruised, beaten? Or will you present them as those precious children of God who He put under your earthly authority to receive heavenly care? With God, there is no bias towards those in the world who would consider themselves great versus those who are the least. With God, we are all before His impartial judgment and concern. And the heavenly perspective then is to look to Christ and see how He leads us as a master and was at the same time one who served and loved those in His care. 
Think of the authority that he had in heaven as he was humiliated, and yet he didn't abdicate any of that role as the one who rules and reigns, who truly was the king of Israel. They put it over his head as a mockery. But yes, he is king, and yet he served the same king who served those under his care. He washed their feet. He laid down his life. What an example we have in Christ Jesus, our master. It is with the same love that the servant can know from the eyes of heaven that Christ will stop at nothing to preserve and keep his own, and he will bring justice against the unrighteous master or reward for the master who loves those under his charge that has sought to do good in the face of God. Let us consider then the real call of heavenward perspective. How do you reflect in all aspects, think on this, in all aspects of life, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? What will it look like for you as you think this morning, whether you're Uh, any of these things described here to stand before the impartial judgment seat of Jesus Christ? Will your life reflect your confession of faith? How do you work and live and strive and do good according to the will of God? According to His commands? Is your life filled with grumbling? With resisting God-ordained authority. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, what Paul's presenting here is a unique view of life. One lesson it teaches us is how muddle-headed it is to regard work and witness as two different realities in the Christian life. We witness in the work we do by the way we do it as unto Christ Jesus. Paul agrees that we might have a sincere heart towards Christ by having a heavenward attitude, a heavenward motive, that we might see all things from the perspective of heaven where God sees the heart and the needs of his people. Amen. Let's pray.